Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. The greatest sermon that's ever been preached is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It was preached by Jesus. Matthew has the sermon in a single block of three chapters in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Luke, on the other hand, takes that sermon and splits it up into multiple parts and scatters it throughout his gospel. And so it's probable that Jesus preached this sermon all at once, but it's also possible that he preached it in parts, kind of like a series, the Sermon on the Mount. There's been a lot of speculation about what the Sermon on the Mount, how it's to be understood. There are actually people who believe that the whole Sermon on the Mount is meant not for us, but for people in some future heavenly kingdom. That's not my own viewpoint, uh, although I can understand it. The, the Sermon on the Mount is very difficult to hear, and it's even harder to obey. And so I can see where some folks would think that it was meant for some future time, but in spite of the fact that it is difficult, I believe that it's meant for us. In fact, I believe it's meant for all people of all time. And for the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to focus on the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. This is a, a group of verses that are known as the Beatitudes. They start out with the word blessed in most of the verses. Blessed. It's the Greek word makaros. Uh, some translations translate the word happy, but I don't think that the word happy fully conveys the depth of the meaning of this word. Certainly happiness is in that word, but it is far more than just happiness. And one of the reasons why I think happy doesn't fully convey the meaning is because we've, in our day, we've kind of devalued the word happy. Somewhere along the way, we reached into the word happy and we emptied it of most of its calories. And so now instead of happy, what we really have is diet happy. And so diet happy doesn't even come close to uh, conveying the meaning of this word blessed. It's far more than that. It literally means internal joy and fulfillment and contentment that is part and parcel of a relationship, a right relationship with God. And so, this series I've entitled, Mo Better, because I believe that that's a good translation of blessed. Mo Better is the life you have if you have these different characteristics in your life. And so the series is Mo Better. And it's, uh, the subtitle is, are, is Keys to a Better Life. Keys to a Better Life. So let's look with me, Matthew chapter 5, first 12 verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Keys to a better life. Most all of us have those certain days when we wake up. I hope it's not every day that we wake up with this, but there are certain days we wake up and we wish life was better than what it is. I go to hospitals, I'll go to funeral homes, I'll visit homes where crisis has struck. Either there's a terminal diagnosis or there is a workplace problem or there is a marriage crisis or some other kind of relationship crisis. And one of the things that I hear in most of those places is, I wish life were better than what it is. Do you ever wish life was different than what it is? Do you ever wish that life was, was better? This past week, I read an article by a journalist whose name is Farid Magno. Magno is a journalist for Business Day magazine. He lives in San Francisco, California. Earlier this year, Magno uh, chose a New Year's resolution, and his resolution was pretty simple. He said this. He said, for two months, January and February, I want to get all of my news from print, only from print. And so he cut off all of the news feeds on his phone. He cut off his computer. He turned off his television, would not watch anything 24-7 cable news or any other kind of news, national news or local news on TV. And the only news he got, he got every morning by way of three newspapers, daily newspapers that he received at his home and one weekly magazine. And he did this for two months just as an experiment. And at the end of two months, here's what he found. And I'm quoting Farid Magno. It has been life-changing. Turning off the buzzing, breaking news machine I carry in my pocket was like unshackling myself from a monster who had me on speed dial, always ready to break into my day with half-baked bulletins. Now I am not just less anxious and less addicted to the news, I am more widely informed. And I'm embarrassed about how much free time I have. In two months, I managed to read a half dozen books. I managed to take up pottery as a hobby, and I became a more attentive husband and father." Farid Mignot's experience resulted in two months of him actually enjoying a better life than what he had before that two-month experiment. Now, I, I bring up his story and his experience not to encourage folks to do exactly what he did, but simply to say this, the very fact that he started this experiment in a hope of bettering his life indicates that he was looking for a better life. Let me suggest you do something. Sometime when you're free, maybe this afternoon, this evening, 
And if you're online, if you're on a computer or on your phone, go to Google and Google search, in quotation marks, a better life. Just those three words, a better life, in quotations, in a Google search. When you click enter, what you're going to find coming back to you are literally thousands of websites where people have either studied or they've written about or they're looking for keys to a better life. And there's no way you're going to be able to read through all of those because there's far too many to to read. My point again is that a lot of people are interested in having a better life than the one that they have. So if I were to ask you, what do you want from life? What would your answer be? Some people would say, well, I'd just like to be happy. Somebody else would say, I just wish I had a good family. Someone else would say, I just wish I had a job that was paying me more money. Someone else might say, I just want to be loved and accepted for who I am rather than what people want me to be. There was a time in the history of our country not too many decades ago where most of the answers to that question, what do you want out of life, would be, I just want a better life. It's a little hard subject, though, to address today because for the most part, we've got it pretty good. I mean, even on our worst day, we've got it better in our country than the people who live in almost every other country. We've got it so good, and we've had it so good for so long that we're actually quite spoiled. But even those of us who have it good, what we find is we, we, we do research and we find out what it will take to get us where we want to go, and we find out what that is, and we start putting a plan in place to get where we want to go, and yet when we arrive at where we think we want to be, we get there and we find... We're still, it's not enough. You remember when you were a kid on Christmas morning? I don't know how many of you had the experience I did, but on Christmas morning, there was so much excitement, so much anticipation for Christmas morning because we, my brother and I, we, we could hardly sleep. We might sleep a few minutes, but we'd get up as early as possible on Christmas morning, usually around 6.30 or 7, which we would never do ordinarily. And we'd go in the living room, there'd be toys in the living room. There was so much excitement. Everything was brand new. It smelled new. And there's just a feeling of adrenaline in your heart. Do you remember that if you had an experience like that when you were little? But you know what I found out? I found out that even on Christmas morning with all the excitement first thing in the morning by three in the afternoon, it had gotten old. And somehow it seemed like there was something missing. Even though it had all the stuff that we had, or most of the stuff that we had wanted for Christmas, and yet there was something that we didn't have. And isn't that the way it is in in many of our lives? Even though we have it quite good, we we climb the ladder of success only to find that the ladder is either uh, comes up short of where we'd like to be or it's leaning against the wrong wall. There's always something more that we want. 
So what does it take to have a better life? I believe that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount offers us some vital keys to finding the keys to a better life. And this morning, I want to start off with just the first two verses of this passage. The first two verses, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Let me just go with those two verses. And let me first say this, that a better life begins with Jesus in your life. You'll notice that we haven't even got to the blessed are, the blessed are, the blessed are, the beatitude verses. We're, we're still in that, those, intro, those introductory verses, but that's because that's where Jesus is. You see, a better life begins with a relationship with Jesus. It begins with a time in your life where you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You believe he rose from the dead to give you life. You invite him into your life and you follow him. It's not a matter of just getting fire insurance from God. It's not, it's not a matter of just getting a ticket to heaven from God. It is a matter of a relationship, beginning a relationship with Christ that results in following him. That's where a better life starts. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, is at the foot of a mountain. And there are crowds there. We don't know how many people make up this crowd Matthew says they're crowds, plural. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew and also Mark and Luke, when you see crowds, it's usually thousands of people. When Jesus fed uh, the 5,000, there were at least 5,000 people there, but one of the Gospel writers says there were 5,000 people not counting women and children, which means there may very well have been as many as 10,000 or more there. These crowds are normally large, so even though we don't know uh, in this passage, how large this crowd is, we can speculate that it's a pretty good-sized crowd. And Jesus is at the foot of this mountain with this crowd gathered around him, and he wants to teach. He has something he wants to say because he wants every one of them to have a better life than what they have. But he does not teach them where they are. He turns around, Matthew says, seeing the crowds, and he goes up onto a mountainside, and after he has climbed a certain part of that mountain and gotten to a certain place where he wants to stop, he sits down, and Matthew says, then his disciples came to him. So at this point, I want you to understand that if you want a better life than what you have, even you may have a good life, but you want an even better life, it begins with a relationship with Jesus that is actively following Jesus wherever Jesus leads you. The second thing I want you to notice from these verses is that having a better life is a choice you make, not a coincidence you experience. It's a choice you make. One of the reasons why I don't like the word happy as a translation for blessed in these Beatitudes is because happy at its core meaning means a feeling that you have based upon your happenings. In fact, happy comes from a root for happenings. But the kind of blessedness that Jesus is talking about here, it, 
it goes beyond a mere happiness based upon uh, circumstances, and it is a happiness that's based upon the choices you and I make in life. So I want you to notice this. Jesus leaves the crowds, and he goes up the mountain. Now, when Jesus left the crowds and went up on the mountain, that left all of the crowds with a choice to make. You with me? Hello? When Jesus leaves the crowds, they are there with a choice to make. What are their choices? Well, they could could say, well, um, I don't really want to climb that mountain. I think I'm just going to go home. And they could choose to go home. Others could say, well, I don't want to climb the mountain either, but I'm not ready to go home. I'm just going to stay here at the foot of the mountain. Or you could choose to follow Jesus up the mountain. So they had, they had these choices to make. All the crowds had choices to make. And some of the people in the crowd made the choice to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something in these two verses. I want you to notice that there are two groups of people here. There is a larger group of people that Matthew calls the crowds. Did you get that? Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. Notice Matthew does not say, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside, and the crowds followed him. That's not what Matthew says. Matthew says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and then Jesus' disciples followed him. So there, are, there is the crowd, and then within that crowd, there is a smaller group of people who are the disciples. A disciple means a follower. A disciple means a little Christ a Christ follower. And I will say that in this room right here, there is a crowd, but within this larger crowd, there is a smaller group that I would call disciples, people who are serious about following Jesus and serious about the better life that, that Jesus will give you. So I would, I would just pause right here and ask you, which group are you in? Are you in the crowd group that stays at the bottom of the mountain, or are you in the disciple group that's willing to follow Jesus to a higher level? Let me tell you something. Jesus could have, he could have taught all the crowds. He would have had a much bigger turnout if he had preach this sermon at the bottom of the mountain. If Jesus were concerned about numbers, he would have preached it at the bottom of the mountain. After all, after he got through, he could go and somebody could say, well, how many did you have in church today? I don't know, seven, 8,000, something like that. I don't know. But see, here's the deal. Jesus wasn't concerned about numbers for the sake of numbers. He was concerned not about quantity, but the quality of people's lives. And so rather than speak to a whole crowd, some of whom really weren't that serious about what he had to offer, Jesus goes up the mountain, making it a little harder for people to get what they really want. But it was a choice they had to make. Third, please notice that the journey to a better life will travel through struggles and tests. 
the people who ended up hearing this message had to climb the mountain. They had to go through the rigors, the endurance, the stamina, the perseverance of climbing the mountain in order to hear what Jesus said. They had to get to a higher level. You ever climbed a mountain before? On foot? I remember when I climbed a mountain one time, it was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. It was in the mid-80s. I remember I was a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church. Actually, it was early 1986. And I heard, we heard, that Halley's Comet was going to be present during a certain time in this part of the world. And uh, I determined that I wanted to see Halley's Comet, right? With its tail. I wanted to be able to see it. And I, I concluded that the best place to view Halley's Comet in Georgia was Stone Mountain. Yeah? And so, but here's the deal. The time, there was one certain morning when, when they said it was the best time to view it, even on Stone Mountain, and the best time to view it was going to be somewhere around 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Now, here's how really dumb I was. My wife Amanda was pregnant with our first child, Zach. And I made the real dumb mistake of suggesting to her that it would be really beneficial if she got up and climbed Stone Mountain with me. I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why is she still with him? That's what you're thinking. But we got up and a group of folks from our church, mostly men, that ought to tell you something right there, I guess. And we, we got up and we got to Stone Mountain a little before three in the morning and we start climbing the mountain. My little wife is absolutely miserable. And I'm like looking at her and I'm thinking, honey, come on. How hard can this be? Come on, let's go. And she's absolutely miserable. It's a wonder that she didn't just kill me right there on top of the mountain. And we got up there on the top of the mountain and we were there from like 3.30 to about 5 o'clock. It was freezing cold. And there were, Halley's Comet was spotted in about a thousand different places. And I don't know which one of them was it. I never did exactly see something that I thought was definitely Halley's Comet. I was really disappointed. And my wife was just mad. She was just mad. And there's something about my little wife. She never forgets anything especially climbing Stone Mountain. And so I asked the folks in the early service if they saw her to go over to her and say, Amanda, tell us about seeing Halley's Comet on Stone Mountain. And I said, you will see her countenance change from sweet and smiley to... Climbing a mountain's hard. 
Jesus went up on the mountainside and those who wanted to get his message had to make the choice of climbing the mountain. You see, Jesus will stretch you in order to get you to a better place. And so wherever Jesus goes, commit yourself to go where he is and he will always take you to a higher place. But that higher place will take you through tests and struggles. God will not just drop from heaven a better life and let it envelop you like a quilt. It's something that that will take you through some tough times. So the journey will travel through struggles and tests. And then finally, living a better life does not depend on your circumstances. Some of you, you're hearing me talk about a better life and and the thought in your mind is this. I, I just... Life can't be better as long as my circumstances are what they are. Listen, for many of you, you have zero control over your circumstances. Now, that's not true of all of us. Uh, If we have control over some circumstances, then we ought to know exactly what to do to make it better. But for many of us, our circumstances are beyond our control, so the issue is, will we experience a better life in spite of our circumstances? And Jesus here is saying, yes, you can. Well, how do you know that? Well, just listen to some of these words that he says, beginning with the blesseds over in verse number three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, who got up this morning and said, man, I can't wait to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You see, these are reasons why many people would say, I can't have a better life because of persecution, because of hunger, because of my poverty, because of my grief and my mourning. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, these people are blessed. You can have the the more better. You can have the better life in spite of these circumstances. Jesus did not say, Blessed are those who are free from trials. Blessed are those who are successful. Blessed are those who are lucky. Blessed are those who are born in the right place at the right time. Instead, Jesus tells us that we can be blessed, we can be fulfilled, we can live a contented life in spite of those struggles, even maybe because of those struggles. It's our choice, again. So do you want a better life? It starts with Jesus. And it continues with following Jesus. I read about a man who dialed the wrong number. And he got a voice message. And the voice message, the recording said this. I'm not available right now, but I thank you for caring enough to call me. I am making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of the changes. (laughs) So you want a better life. Where does it begin? Here. It begins with a relationship 
with Jesus. And it continues as you follow Jesus, no matter where it goes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for how good you are. It's not your will all the time that we be happy, but it is your will that we be better. It's your will that our lives be better. It's your will that we know you in in the relationship. It's your will that we walk with you no matter where you lead. It's your will that we follow you up to a higher place than where we are. Lord, as we go to this invitation time in this service, my prayer is that there will be people here who have never invited you to be their savior who will come here to the front and say, I need Jesus. Lord, I pray that there will be people who, they may already be Christians, but I pray that they'll come and say, I haven't been following Jesus here of late and I'm ready to follow Jesus. I pray for people, Lord, who need a church home and you may be leading them here to this church. I pray for people who just want to come and worship. But Lord, I pray that whatever the case, there will be people who encounter Jesus Christ right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.